Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. We are back. Uh, with Freedom of Species, which is a radio program that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals, and this includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. This show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am. Yeah, and we, we've got Madison Griffiths and I'm Nick Pendergrast. And yeah, today we're going to be talking about, I guess, the one topic that's really been going on over the break. Obviously, there's so many issues going on around the world and so many issues for animals, but there's really been one issue that's you know, hugely stood out, obviously the bushfire crisis and obviously the focus of our show, particularly how animals are affected by the bushfire crisis as well as humans. And yeah, we're going to be talking a bit about some of the, the hierarchies that exist uh, on an ongoing basis, not just... Just, you know, during the bushfire crisis, but how some of these hierarchies that we have amongst non-human animals, how they, yeah, how they are sort of highlighted by this crisis. Mm, absolutely. I think it's worth mentioning, um, whilst we're all probably aware and quite overwhelmed by all of the facts that are, that are being um, distributed online about the climate change crisis, uh, we just here at 3CR want to remind everyone how unbelievably devastating um, it is. And scientists warn that there are some megafires um, that will actually result in the loss of entire species of birds and, and um Wildlife, And there's something Siobhan O'Sullivan, um, who is a wonderful writer who wrote in an article for the ABC, um, that these fires are just one indication that we have made some immense mistakes in the way we think about and treat the non-human world, which is a really important point that um, I think is worth mentioning. Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I definitely for myself, I don't know if that's the case for Madison or other listeners, but I think about this climate crisis and how it's kind of, you know, obviously it, it has already been affecting various people around the world, but say in my location, inner city Melbourne, there haven't maybe been those clear examples. Like you see the graphs and you hear the scientists and, and you kind of know, so, you know, you obviously take it seriously and acknowledge it and try and act on, on for the environment and all these kind of things. But I think there are sort of different levels of knowing something. And for me, it's definitely hidden an extra level and, and very similar to animals in a way. Obviously, even when I used to eat animals, I knew on some level that I was eating animals. But when I went vegan, I kind of have realized that in a deeper level but then even after being vegan for so many years I remember going out to a there was a vigil outside a pig slaughterhouse and even though I already knew that pigs were being slaughtered obviously and that is one of the reasons why I'm vegan to oppose that animal slaughter but yeah definitely it, it hit really hard it sort of it was sort of an extra level of knowing and, and that's certainly been the case for me I'm sure many others as well mm-hmm. that yeah I took climate change seriously but it was always sort of something on the far off or something happening elsewhere and those kind of things but when you're sort of wanting to go out and I don't know walk my dogs for example and I'm thinking the air quality is really bad but I really want to take them out and it's really affecting on that really tangible day-to-day basis I think that it probably has hit home for many people. I think that's a really good point. And um, I think something you mentioned then about, you know, the the stark violence that you, you lay witness to when, when you, you know, go to vigils and whatnot. I think what's really interesting about the way the megafires or the, the climate change crisis has been um, explicitly, uh, I guess, spoken about in the media or, or photographed in the media is that for a lot of people that don't tap into animal issues and don't perhaps feel like they are exposed to um, 
you know, the, the truth about the way animals are treated. These photos of, of the and these facts about koalas and, um, you know, kangaroos drinking off, like getting stuck in fences and the most grisly and horrific things. The, the only uh, imagery that, that a lot of people that aren't exposed to animal issues have. Mm. Um, and it, so there has been this sort of collective shock, I think, that a lot of people that are not used to, I guess, seeing uh, mass death like mm. this, not that anyone should be used to, are really struggling with at the moment. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, and I think the the media has certain sort of unwritten rules, and I think one of them is often uh, to not at least regularly highlight what's going on in places like slaughterhouses. Obviously, there's the occasional expose and that kind of thing, but I think um, when when this harm to animals is happening in this less sort of institutionalised way and outside mm. of these companies, it seems that it's somehow more acceptable for the media to promote this and, and promote it as something like, of course, this is a negative thing, right? And, of course, is something that we oppose and, and want to try and prevent. Um, but obviously, you know, in, in slaughterhouses, in various animal industries, in this more institutionalized way, in this kind of yeah legal way in, in many senses, um, yeah, it's going on all the time. But, yeah, people are exposed to it a lot more, the bushfire crisis. That is really, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, they don't actually make sense of the climate crisis as something that is quite institutionalised, really. Mm. That is something that, whilst it doesn't fall within the parameters of legislation and, you know, um, long culture or whatnot, um, it is very much the product of, of man-made destruction and and, um, and man-greed in, in much the way that um, we rely on animal agricultural initiatives. So I think that is... Um, yeah, it, it is quite confronting to see how it's all manifested into this mass uh, destruction. Yeah, and I think also thinking about the media and their reporting on this stuff as well, often we hear about, you know, whatever it might be, these people lost their homes or these animals mm. lost homes or were killed. But I think there has been, obviously, you know, the climate change issue has been raised, including in mainstream media outlets, but I feel like there's often just a reporting on the specific thing that happened and mm. not enough reporting on that this is yeah created by by humans and obviously created by some a lot more than others right if we look at who who has the power and wealth and these kind of things so yeah there, there's there is in this case it kind of seems like oh it's just a natural disaster but obviously at least partly contributed to by climate change as well and um, there's certain governments that have been um, yeah our government for example who have had inaction on climate change obviously companies who have who have played a Big role, big role in that in, in fossil fuels animal agriculture etc and so yeah I think that really there's I think you know knowing that uh, th- this house was destroyed and, and knowing that animals off their homes that is important to know but if that's all the media report they're not actually yeah letting us know about the root causes of these issues. Absolutely and I think as um, as conscious consumers we should really be interrogating um, the the holistic products that, that caused that are currently causing the climate crisis. Um, and it's probably worth mentioning um, statistics in this because I think one thing that uh, you and I were speaking about, Nick, which is uh, all the vegans I've spoken to about um, with this about, is that you know more than a billion animals have died around the country and that figure excludes fish, frogs, bats and insects, but more than a billion animals are killed uh, every day in the world. So it's there is this cognitive dissonance that is happening between the sort of animals that we're we're publicly mourning um and the sort of animals that we we usher into a um slaughterhouse into an abattoir. So I guess I thought it would be important for us to discuss that cognitive dissonance and mm-hmm. why 
um, those hierarchies exist within speciesism. Yeah, and I think those those numbers are, are very stark, but as you say, they're nothing out of the ordinary. Um, but I think what's changed is the species that it's, it's, that it's affecting. So I think it definitely says something about, yeah, again, the hierarchies that we hold, uh, yeah, amongst different animals because, yeah, there, there's certainly nothing, you know, scientific about it. Like I think there's no, um, no science out there to say that a cow doesn't suffer or a cow doesn't value their own life like a, a koala does. Um, so, it, yeah, there's definitely not a scientific exclamation with different attitudes so it's very much mm. uh, something created by society and also as we've said by institutions who profit off exploiting and killing certain animals as well totally and we've seen this top sort of speciesism i mean we see it at play all the time um a perfect example is the way you know humans value dogs compared to other animals um uh and the way they protest certain um you know examples of of cruelty against dogs or, or animal abuse whilst then going out for dinner and, and eating an animal product. Um, and that cognitive dissonance um, is one that exists despite the climate crisis. I think it's just really brought it to, to the attention of many that um, we are very selective in, in how we show compassion um, and our emotional responses to, to a kangaroo getting stuck in a fence versus a uh, cow having to be shot by, I say having to be um, shot by his, his farmer or her farmer is, is quite um, confronting for me to see that. I, I find it really hard to consume. Mm, yeah, and I think the, 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 you know, dogs, yeah, just to take one example. So, yeah, I think there obviously is a lot of outrage in Western countries like Australia to um, dog slaughter in, in China, for example. But one thing I found interesting about that is that it's generally not even necessarily focused on the cruelty. It's mm. just that we are killing dogs at all. Absolutely. So, yeah, I've never seen, for example, a campaign led in the West calling for free-range dog slaughter, for example. <laughs> uh, it's always that it's not that they're doing it wrong, it's that they're doing it at all. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of our discussions in the West, like Australia, for example, uh, free-range so-called pork, like free-range pig products, for example, we're not only, you know, doing a better thing, but often we're doing a good thing and we're being kind to animals in a lot of the messaging from some animal groups even um and so yeah there's a real, real discrepancy where it's like free range pigs is um a good thing and we're helping animals and then yeah in if, if we're eating dogs even in a best sort of idealized kind of situation that is horrible mm. and it's barbaric and all these things as well so yeah, yeah it's yeah. quite ironic that we've we've shown ourselves very capable of being able to um establish a dynamic with a particular non-human animal be it a dog that that very blatantly black and white accepts that they are just not food. Mm. The issue, uh, the point you're making, I think, is which is wonderful, is that the, the issue is not, like you said, the, the way within which they are slaughtered. It's that they're entitled to life. Mm. Um, and so we, we've, we've proved um, as humans that it is possible for us to see non-human animals in this way and for that to dictate a lot of our, our uh, you know, emotional responses and political responses, the amount of money that is, um, is funded and, and the amount of you know, resources that go into stopping some of the dog festivals um, internationally is unbelievable um, from people that often do eat meat. So yeah. I think this has just been a further example of um, a bit of a reality check that we, we are incredibly um, 
prejudiced mm. even within um, speciesism and that yeah. is quite complex. And I think even within the animal movement as well and so I think a lot of uh, animal advocates uh, support these campaigns trying to ban dog slaughter in China or whatever and I think what we do in those kind of campaigns is reinforce this speciesism amongst animals and I also often wonder about the, the net gains of the, these campaigns as well. So say um, yeah we in the West and they're sort of why we should be focusing on what they're doing rather than what's going on here and all those kind of issues as well but even if that campaign was somehow successful would that consumption to switch over to pigs for example Mm. or a different animal and in which case why is that any better and so Mm. yeah sort of challenging these hierarchies and I think you know living with animals like dogs and and cats and other common companion animals in countries like Australia um, we we just we instinctively just from living them challenge notions like humane slaughter for example so if our dog or cat was killed it's not humane because they've got a slightly bigger cage or, um, yeah, they were stunned or these kind of things. We know that they value their lives. We know that they feel pain. But we also know that they, I think, an important point when we hear sort of these animal welfare, the sort of yeah, so-called humane slaughter, humane exploitation of animals, um, concepts that are so accepted when it comes to animals like pigs, for example, um, we sort of know them to be false when it comes to dogs. So it's sort of based on this notion that it's okay to kill them as long as they've had a relatively good life which obviously isn't always the case but that's kind of like their sort of ideal idealized version that we have Mm. Um, but we know for example if someone was to cut um, yeah, our dog or cat's sh- uh, lives short when they're otherwise totally healthy animals, that would be imposing a harm on them because they they enjoy their lives. There's things they enjoy doing. Their lives are worth living just like ours are worth living. And so that idea of, of, of slaughter in itself is, is the problem, not just the treatment. Absolutely. Mm. I think that's, a, that, that's exactly it. And also um, the idea of us being able to have a dynamic with with our domestic animals, like with dogs and cats, um, that inevitably challenges the notions um, of them being, you know, anything that isn't uh, something to love and something that loves itself. Um, we're able to, because of those displays of, of affection, interspecies affection, we're able to embrace the similarities and almost project human standards of emotion onto the dogs and cats um, that we have come to know as our own. And mm. it's been really interesting seeing the way, um, you know, koalas and wombats and kangaroos have had this this media attention that is quite um, – quite a projection. I mean, there was that post going around that was disputed about wombats actually using their burrows Mm. to protect other animals. Mm. Um, And you can see sort of, you know, the media trying to, I guess, humanise some animals over others Mm. um, very deliberately um, and in a way that is quite quite interesting to to watch and i haven't really tried, quite figured out why uh why i find it a little bit cringe but i think it is because we are setting these you know ideas about what an animal is worth based on how we make sense of them and mm. how we decide they're meant to feel and the yeah. wombats are clearly uh grieving in the way that a human would mm. um when even if they weren't that doesn't mean that they you know deserve any less yeah so yeah it's quite interesting yeah yeah and i think that that's a yeah really interesting discussion in terms of that uh, idea of anthropomorphism <laughs> yeah. big one, but this idea of like we um well th- this critique of like we we project you know, human attributes onto non-human animals. And I, I kind of feel in two ways about that because I think, first of all, I think sometimes, like, we just share things with other animals. So yeah. we're, we're not actually projecting human things. It's like, you know, they also, you know, mourn when someone close Absolutely. to them passes away. And so by 
pointing that out. Um, we're not necessarily anthropomorphizing animals, but we're, you know, just, we, that's just something we share. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you as well. It's like that, that can be, we can look at those things we share with animals in terms of breaking down those species hierarchies, but also, yeah, I think we also need to acknowledge they're important, even if they are not, nothing like us in some ways as well, just Absolutely. as there's obviously differences amongst species, uh, amongst non-human animals and obviously individuals within those species. There's not like a dog personality or a cat personality, for example, <laughs> right? There's, there's differences and we obviously know that again when it comes to those animals, but when it comes to animals that we've spent less time with or most of us have spent less time with, there's sort of this assumption of there's just like a species, like pigs, for example, there's not sort of acknowledgement of differences within those those broad species. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, in the second part of, of this episode, we do really want to speak about livestock and the, uh, I, I mean, I'm referring to them as livestock based on what the media has, has said. I obviously do not believe that that is the role the animals serve, but we will, um, we will definitely go into to that and the way they have been, you know, cows, sheep and, and chickens and whatnot have been uh, captured in the in the bushfire crisis Mm. so make sure to stay tuned to that point yeah so we're gonna go to a song now what have you chosen for the first track madison so uh, this song is by kate lebon um who was actually touring in australia recently and i thought the title was apt so it's called you don't love me you don't love me you don't love me concave empathy but you don't love I dream about dead hours and think about remaining within view. My devotion is new. Never be, never be, never be still. Us goddesses never stop thriving. And in the midnight pity bath, I found.
Yalakut Willem Nagi, Australia's First Nations Festival, returns Saturday, February 1st with soulful live music and free family entertainment. Get your funk on to Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, plus Coloured Stone, Kian, the Struggling Kings, Kihu, and loads more music from the finest First Nations artists in Australia. Eat and browse your way through market stalls or get hands-on at the many workshops and activities on offer. Yalakut Willem Nagi proudly celebrates Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures across one day where everyone is welcome. Head to ywnf.com.au for details. City of Port Phillip and Yalakut Willem Nagi, 3CR supporters. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. So Freedom of Species is a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. And my name is Madison and I'm speaking here with Nick, one of the other hosts. And we are discussing today the climate crisis and what that has meant for animals uh, all around this country. Um, And it has been incredibly, incredibly dire. Um, And there was actually something that I read this morning, um, which I thought, oh God, it couldn't get any worse. But uh, from the rains, from the recent rain, ash from extensive bushfires have caused rapid drops of oxygen levels in the Maclay River on the New South Wales mid-north coast. So ecologists say that it could take years for the Maclay River to recover and there has been a, yeah, mass uh, killing of fish, which mm. is just awful. Yeah, and I think with climate change, that's important to keep in mind as, uh, as difficult as it is to, uh, yeah, uh, comprehend that. Um, there's a lot of discussions about these bushfires being the new normal, which is absolutely true. But another thing to keep in mind is that it's not just the new normal, but um, again, particularly if emissions aren't drastically reduced, things will actually continue to get worse with these mm. feedback loops. Like uh, one example is the um, like the Arctic ice, for example, and how that melts and that makes the oceans warmer. And you kind of get this this feed loop, feedback loop, and then more ice melts, etc. And so, yeah, it's kind of the it is the new normal, but also, yeah, again, unless act, like drastic action is taken, it will gradually get more and more frequent and this kind of thing as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah. There was yeah. a, a beautiful section of a piece of writing by Omar Saka, um, which was essentially mentioning how, you know, the end of the world may not necessarily be so black and white. We, mm. we are in it right now. Mm. And what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and I think seeing these photos of, for a lot of people that, that consume animal products or, or aren't necessarily vegan, um, the bushfire crisis and seeing these photos of these animals has been uh, a very confronting foray into the future or the, the present um, within which we live. And I, I'm thrilled about that. But um, the, the point we're trying to make on today's show was that there is very clear um, hierarchies that exist within um, the way certain animals are mourned um, and the way certain animals are completely disregarded, which is um, – so I guess we wanted to talk mainly about cows, uh, chickens and sheep. So mm. the, the farm animals or, or what are, you know, often referred to as livestock. Mm. And I wanted to raise that point of livestock because 
I actually did an interview on this topic on Monday Morning Breakfast. So shout out to Monday Morning Breakfast. You can listen to their show at 3cr.org.au and follow the links to their show. So check that out. But yeah, just one thing that came up, I think maybe when I was sharing that interview was um, someone commented on the Freedom of Species page. Um, they're sick of hearing the term livestock when it mm. comes out. I, I can't remember. I don't know if that's necessarily in response to me or just generally or whatever, but it's kind of an interesting thing of we need to challenge speciesism and speciesist language um, but we also need to make sense to people who are hearing this show or whatever show and aren't necessarily aware of these discussions as totally. well. So kind of there's parallels with other issues as well. Um, yeah, years ago I wrote an article uh, challenging homophobia in light of the Orlando shootings. Mm. There was like a homophobic shooting there. And um, yeah, I wrote an article sort of challenging that, saying that if we're concerned about these really extreme things in this uh, at that sort of end of the spectrum, we also need to challenge like homophobic language. Totally. and Microaggressions. Sort of, Exactly. Yep. So sort of challenging homophobia all along the spectrum if we want to challenge these really extreme, particularly horrific things. And there was a comment saying, I can't believe this article uses the term homophobia because people aren't actually scared. They're just discriminatory, which is kind of, you know, it's not actually a phobia. They're not actually scared yeah. of people who, who might be gay or lesbian, etc. Um, and I thought that was a fair critique of the word and I could possibly create a new word for the article, but it's also in a way you kind of have to use the language of the surround as well. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, um, you know, a lot of these words, a lot of political terms um, in particular have a very uh, rich, tragic but important historical um, uh, trajectory. Mm. So I think it is, you know, to, to talk about something like homophobia or to speak about um, – to use terms that are, that capture, albeit problematically, mm. certain subsets um, of animals, or in this case, animals, um, is you know uh, not necessarily a, an homage to to the mention of, of livestock, but it's just yeah. a, an acknowledgement that that is how people make sense of these animals, and that needs to be challenged. Um, but for now, we want to make it very obvious that we, we when we are saying um, mentioning livestock. Uh, I, I want to talk about, you know, cows, uh, chickens, mm. sheep, uh, farm animals generally, mm. um, and how they have been completely ignored um, as, you know, as mournable subjects in yeah. the bushfire crisis. And I think even that term, like farm animals, that like, come there would challenge yeah, that as well. Of because course, it's like, yeah. okay, why is it sort of natural or inevitable that cows are kind of the ones being used in agriculture rather than dogs or something Absolutely. like that, for example? But yeah. but yeah, I guess it's a matter of always trying to challenge that. But also uh, this show, which definitely uh, reaches some animal advocates, but also just reaches some general 3CR listeners who may be less aware. It's like, yeah, always sort of trying to walk that line of trying to challenge the existing language but mm -hmm. also trying to speak in a way that actually makes sense to people outside of these circles as well so Absolutely. it's a tough one but we'll it is a best. really really yeah. tough yeah. one yeah <laughs> um so i guess the the point we wanted to make um to start off with was you know there were some photographs some really uh awful awful uh photographs of farmers uh shooting their the animals um on their farms um and, you know, I, I, I can't remember the source, so don't quote me on this, but I was told that farmers were given bullets um, over, you know, particular foods because of the nature of, of um, the food uh, sources up there, up, up in the fires. Um, so the images we saw of uh, cows and sheep and whatnot being killed um, were incredibly violent uh, and incredibly confronting to, to witness, but... 
I found them really quite interesting because I hardly ever saw any photos of these animals as a standalone. Mm. Um, the way they were shared on my Facebook or the way they were shared, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a more rural area, so I do have a lot of people on my Facebook that some are farmers. Mm. Um, many have, you know, a complex relationship with animals in ways that I don't. Um, so it was really complex for me to see posts uh I guess mourning the the farmers and and mourning that gesture and really feeling for these farmers um because they had to do something so grisly. Mm-hmm. It was almost like we forgot the trajectory within which these animals exist within as if they weren't going to be slaughtered um as if you know they they are in a position where oh oh no they're going to be killed they were going to be killed. I find I found it a little bit jarring and frustrating to to see that. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's it sort of goes back to the idea of speciesism within the media. Mm. Um, and also, I think, you know, on a on a broader point, often we hear in the media, we have to be objective, right? We hear that mm-hmm. from ABCs, particularly, it goes along those lines. And I find that um, it was Howard Zinn, the historian, who said you can't be neutral on a moving train. And mm. so society is moving in certain ways and there's certain dominant norms which can be discriminatory, et cetera. And we can sort of either accept them or we can challenge them. There's no real way to be objective. You sort of accept the status quo or you're not and so the abc so they're being objective and they're reporting this as an economic loss for the farmers Mm. uh to be objective or maybe based on the journalist's own attitudes which are you know part of the broader society or whatever but they're reporting this as an economic loss i guess reinforcing the idea that animals and particularly certain species of animals are not valuable in their own right Mm. they're only valuable to the extent that they can serve or make money for humans absolutely and that really feeds into to, you know, uh, the representation of farmers as this kind of romanticised Aussie battler image, mm. um, the preconceived idea that they they love the animals they farm mm. um, and they have this relationship with them that, I mean, of course you're going to love the animals you farm when they are attached to, to dollar signs, the way that you, you've captured. Um, so whilst people m- might potentially feel as if they're grieving the the gesture of the of the farmer having to kill his his animal it's it it's no it's it's you know grieving the farmer losing funds or Mm. losing livelihood based on the fact that his or her livelihood is based entirely on the exploitation of certain animals Mm. um so I, i do find the irony in you know seeing this place that is ravished, seeing photographs of these places that are completely ravished by fires and knowing the sheer hell that these animals live in point blank. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen an article, there was an article I read on Mamma Mia, which is all these positive stories about those who are saving animals and stuff. And it was interesting, there was a few stories in there from uh, farmers and even hunters. And so there's one guy who was going out rescuing koalas and he was a hunter and he was saying, I'm the last person you'd expect to be rescuing koalas. And yeah, and it sort of, I, I felt like the the gist of that article in terms of including groups like, um, yeah, farmers in animal agriculture and hunters, et cetera, is really reinforcing this idea, which I think is you know often underlying a lot of the media coverage of the uh, animals affected by the bushfire crisis. And that is that there's nothing wrong with our current relationship with animals. Yes. Everything's fine. Uh, hunting's fine. Um, killing animals in animal agriculture is fine etc everything's fine but now something's gone wrong that's departed from the business as normal and this is bad but 
there's not otherwise nothing else is going on and that that yeah. was really really strange to see and i guess that hunter probably isn't hunting koalas specifically they they are hunting animals who i guess for whatever reason they decide are less valuable than koalas because they're not iconic or mm. whatever the reason is i'm not sure what um yeah what their thought process is but yeah that was really interesting to see and just kind of pointed out without any irony or anything like that just like this is another great story of someone caring about animals so yeah yeah. Uh, if anything it was sort of you know I imagine it was it was written in a way that was kind of like wow if he can do it um Mm. almost like a like a pat on the back um I I would love I I would really love to to speak to the you know quite explicitly uh selectively speciesist folk like that about why Mm. Um, it is something I am genuinely curious about and it is something that I'm able to highlight the inconsistencies in. Um, but for a lot of different um, animals, I can't necessarily pinpoint the origins or, or the, the why. I mean, mm. we do have a few ideas, which we will obviously get to mm. later on. Mm. Um but I, I would love to hear it straight from the hunter's mouth. I'd be yeah. very curious. And even the animal farmers often wonder that this idea of, as you say, it's often been said this is bad for the farmer and obviously that's mm. an economic thing, but also sometimes even been like this is so hard for the farmer, which is yeah. particularly hard for us to comprehend, especially because yeah, the, the whole plan is to cut their life well, well, well short of what they'd otherwise live to if they're free from exploitation. But I also wonder if, you know, Again, I've got no idea into the the psychology of farmers and and Madison seems much more connected to those communities than I am. But I also wonder if this idea of cognitive dissonance, Mm. the idea we shut down for certain things. And so this idea that we, you know, maybe the farmers, they, you know, sort of shut down and rationalise this as essential, um, like when they're killing the animals just in normal everyday um, processes, they, they, they shut down that aspect of compassion because it's necessary uh they need it for you know totally. in a financial sense uh maybe they've, they've got the idea we need animals to survive so they're doing a good thing for for everyone etc and so maybe again i've got no idea but maybe uh, it does seem odd to us obviously but maybe it is a genuine thing because they've sort of compartmentalized that yes. that, that is an acceptable harm but they haven't become desensitized to that particular killing in this instance in the case of bushfires and so they're feeling those emotions that people otherwise would when they see animals being harmed and killed. I agree completely. I mm. think, you know, they're, we can go around in circles trying to argue the validity of their emotional response to these um, tragedies. And we, we can really, I, I do think that there is um, a, perhaps a weightless argument, um, you know, like if these, if these farmers really cared about their animals, they blah, 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 which I totally understand and I find it infuriating. But I think you're right within, you know, we're talking about a system, um, a system of speciesism that does allow farmers to truly believe like they care. Um, and they probably tr- very viscerally feel that way um, and are currently grieving something. And uh, it, I find it, very infuriating that there is um, only a certain, you know, that given the nature of speciesism generally, it means that we, uh, those feelings of, of I'm, I'm not going to call them compassion, but those feel, you know, those evocative feelings that the farmers feel about when they, when they have to um, kill an animal that was going to be killed anyway. Um, it just worries me that we don't have the language to describe or to interrogate that that caring, mm. so to speak. Yeah. Um, 
and we should, and there should be more of a discourse around um, why they care in that way and who's allowed that caring to to foster in the first place. Yeah, and I think also there are parallels with individuals who mm. aren't directly involved in animal, um, yeah, animal exploitation, the, these animal industries, and I think there's there's much the same process of this sort of cognitive dissonance of sort of compartmentalizing compassion of you know I see an animal affected by a bushfire um, that that is sad I'm really sad but there's all these processes in place like the media we've spoken about a lot today which kind of desensitize us um, to the exploitation of, of particular animals again not not necessarily dogs for example mm. so we still kind of feel that outrage and that upset when we see that happening but there's just this constant process from the media from animal industries from governments which support these industries etc that you know again the killing of certain animals it's normal it's natural it's necessary all these kind of myths were fed and so it's kind of yeah unsurprising maybe that yeah some people shut down their compassion for those animals or just never even question it Mm. Um, but then yeah again i think that yeah i guess there's kind of two ways we can go about this discussion of going that people who eat animals this this compassion towards the those in the bushfire crisis is um sort of manufactured and it's not it's not genuine because people are are consuming animals who suffer just as much and are killed in just as high numbers etc or much higher in in animal agriculture every day um that's sort of one way to go about it and i definitely try and encourage animal advocates to go the other way that this is genuine uh, and more trying to encourage that genuine compassion that uh nearly everyone feels towards non-human animals and yeah try and extending that to um cows and and um and pigs and chickens etc who face this during the bushfires but also face this regardless of the bushfires exactly. as well and try and try and make that link and overcome that conditioning we've had to um yeah to sort of undo that sort of um somewhat inherent compassion or at least um yeah compassion that most people have towards animals absolutely and while we're talking about you know the sort of animals that are generally farmed or and and or killed um it is worth addressing i guess there is kind of in the midst of a climate crisis a real sense of urgency from from many people i know which is like what can we do what can Mm, we do mm. whilst um almost associating from the immediate effects of um you know having a relationship to food that doesn't rely on speciesism that doesn't you know exploit animals um and i think it would be naive and and um particularly problematic to speak to try and answer that question without first acknowledging um you know that we must pay the rent and we must listen to indigenous folk and acknowledge um the relationship with the land that that exists um but in the context of animal liberation, um, we we need to see how our decisions um, to feed ourselves and our relationship to food directly affect these metaphors. And mm. there is absolutely a correlation, be it symbolic or otherwise. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think definitely symbolic and also very direct in terms of the role animal agriculture plays in climate change, which mm. is definitely there's been something that's been raised by animal advocates and also, you know, a, a select group of, of scientists, but also, yeah, groups like the um, IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, for example, 
they've recently been raising this quite a bit, this idea mm. of, you know, there you know, all kinds of changes we need, need to make to society to, um, to address a climate crisis. I definitely don't want to act as though this is the only one. There's so many different parts of the puzzle, but it is an important one and it's one that's rarely spoken about with a focus on fossil fuels, which is very important and that is obviously absolutely essential to move away from fossil fuels like immediately, if not 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But yeah, um, yeah this animal agriculture plays a significant role as well and, and it's something that often isn't it isn't raised as much. Again, that's starting to change, which is great. But yeah, we definitely need to push that the idea that animal agriculture is is a big part of this. And so yeah, if we think of animal agriculture and consuming animal products, obviously it's directly harming animals who we're kind of often desensitized to their mm. suffering or we just see them as as species rather than individuals, etc. But also animals who are given greater status like koalas and kangaroos, etc. Um, yeah, it also plays a role in the harm of the bushfires that does to them through the impact that um, animal products have in climate change. Absolutely. Um, and I think one thing that, you know, we spoke a little bit about off air, Nick, was you, uh, the individual onus of, um, I guess, having the, the weight of the planet on, on an individual's shoulder mm. and how it is quite impossible to make any sort of ethical um, decision under like capitalism mm. um that's a given but one th- one uh conversation i find really quite frustrating and i i've seen it pop up a little bit in um in non-vegan spaces lately given the the threat of the end of the world and the and the sheer you know not being able to literally breathe outside um is the whole like well you know everyone's going to be vegan eventually everyone's going to be mm. vegan one day and i find that unbelievably um Dismissive because it does almost, uh, <laughs> it, it you know the day is here mm-hmm. and um, and where just in look, like looking at my vegan um, trajectory when I first started becoming vegan there was no there were no mock cheese there were no any any, any of these things so like our our like um, inclusion of veganism into the current. Um, political paradigm that is climate change activism is so necessary and it's not mm. something we're just going to wake up one day and suddenly be in a vegan world and be able to breathe clearly uh, breathe easily yeah yeah and i think that that is definitely something we do want to address on the show at a future point and we've spoken about that mm. already of i definitely we need to encourage people to go vegan and obviously that's what we're doing here but also we need to change those systems and, and make that more possible on a structural level as well um but also yeah this idea that we're going to care about animals after the revolution i think <laughs> is uh yeah definitely something we need to avoid and i think we can think about that with any any marginalized group yes yeah, okay we're going to contribute to sexism now because yeah. sexism will be so after the revolution it's like if we don't care about it now we probably won't care about it after the revolution exactly. as well so i definitely uh, shout out to mexi is on youtube and vegan vanguard podcast has definitely developed my thinking a lot around that of of course we need to look structurally um but we also again if we don't care about a group right now or we don't try and take whatever action we can for that group now we probably won't in some kind of future society absolutely and also with climate change again we need to look at system change we need to look at capitalism and companies etc uh, but also we don't have the time to wait for system change either so we need to push for system change but also do everything we can on an individual level to reduce our impact as well and again uh, veganism is definitely part of that for sure i agree and i think the more we actually view you know i like the point you made about sexism and i I think about that a lot with um 
with a lot of discussion about queerphobia um, and homophobia generally. And, you know, there is this idea that in the future, uh, queerness will not be, you know, homophobia will not be as rampant um, and it, it won't be you know, it just won't be as violent as it has been in the past. Um, but we also need to acknowledge that how many shoulders of queer people do we need to stand on to, to reach those heights? Mm. And when we start seeing animals as individuals and not part of a system that needs to be changed, I mean, all it takes is uh, a good friend of mine who was on the show, um, Freedom of Species, a little while ago. She used to do a lot of... Um, you know, rescue missions. And while she understands that saving one chicken is not going to save all of the chickens, once you hold that living creature in your hand and you and you establish an acknowledgement that that is an individual with a with a you know with interests and and a will to live, um, it it does it does terrify me that sort of dismissive idea that one day we'll all be vegan. It's like animals are dying now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. These animals that are being dead and buried are not going to benefit from a future um, initiation of of a full holistic vegan diet. So yeah. Yeah. I do find it a little bit. Um, uh, a little bit of an, a form of escapism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It won't. It won't necessarily change the world, but it'll change the world for that individual. Yes. Same as rescuing a companion animal as well. But we better go to a tracker. Yes, yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, what have we got? Um, also, I was I was getting a bit cheeky with the with the uh, names of the tracks. So mm-hmm. this is by Elizabeth, who is a local artist, and she actually performed as part of the uh, a bushfire fundraising initiative at the Gasso recently. Um, so she's doing incredible work, and this song is called Death Toll. And you are listening to Freedom of Species. Uh, me and Madison today are discussing how animals are affected by the bushfire crisis. I'm going to finish up with promoting some upcoming events. We married young And it was fun For a while I never think Good. 
Joseph Toscana, convener of the Tanaminawaya and Mount Bohina commemorations. See you midday this Monday, 25th January, corner of Franklin and Victoria Street, Melbourne, at the Tanaminawaya Mobohina monument to commemorate Tanaminawaya Mobohina, Putirana, Traganini, Planobina, and those others, tens of thousands of men, women, and children who died defending their lands, their cultures. This Monday, the 20th of January. Can't make the first hour of the ceremony, 12 to 1? Broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. This is David Rovix and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step 3 is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. Uh, Nick and Madison here are discussing the Australian bushfire crisis and, yeah, some of the the inequalities amongst the, the, the treatment of different animals that we have. And so that's what we're discussing most of the show. We're going to turn now to... Yeah, promoting a few different uh, events that are coming up and and recapping. There was the Animal People documentary, which recently uh, screened as well. Um, And so, yeah, I want to briefly discuss that, depending on how much time we've got, but also promote another screening of that. That was all about the um, Stop Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty Campaign. It was a campaign against animal experimentation in the US. That um, Yeah, a new documentary about that by Joaquin Phoenix. But before we get to that, I want to quickly um, promote an event that... It was passed on to us by uh, someone on Facebook. So the, the event is Cat O Show presents Bat Rock number three. Mm-hmm. So Bat Rock is back for the third year. Eight bat loving bands are performing. <laughs> uh, they mentioned bats are incredibly important to our ecosystem and due to habitat loss and climate change, they're becoming endangered. They said also, let's face it, they look like tiny dogs with wings. They and do. I guess they they're really trying to do. create that connection we've kind of been talking about <laughs> of like animals we do have a greater connaction to. Uh, anyway, all proceeds go to fly by night bat clinic so yeah helping out uh, bats who are injured etc so that is saturday the 1st of february 2020 from 5 till 11 p.m at stay gold 133 sydney road in brunswick if you want to find all the details just search bat rock number three on facebook so bat rock bat rock uh, hashtag three i guess to find that on facebook um so the animal people documentary is um yeah, I, I saw that uh, yeah last week, and that was a sold out screening at Hoyts in in Melbourne. Um, again, by Joaquin Phoenix, looking at I guess some more uh, militant animal campaigning around animal experimentation. It was a really interesting documentary. Um, spoke about this idea of um, or this legislation, the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, which mm. basically means effective animal activism is classed as terrorism. So basically, if you reduce the profit. Mm-hmm. of a company that exploits animals that is was, was sort of reclassified or, or became classified as terrorism. Um, so, yeah, basically you're allowed to protest against animal these industries as long as you're not actually interfering with their profits. But if you're not interfering with their profits, you're probably not actually being effective. So really interesting, um, yeah, that kind of development and also the way that that kind of language has started to creep into Australia as well. Oh, so, green-collared criminals. Exactly. Yeah, they're very, very similar. And not even just language, but even legislation has started yes. being in that direction as well about um, 
criminalizing vegan activists specifically, et cetera. So if you're a vegetarian who raids a farm or something, you're fine. It's specific to vegan apparently. But um, yeah, yeah, this sort of specific legislation, obviously we already have laws against arson, um, break and enter, you know, trespass, et cetera. And when they, you know, when they introduce new laws to specific groups, it's really just about repressing that um, that group, I guess. Um, And I also did want to, mention as well some of the animal activists i um i don't want to give too many spoilers but there were people in the documentary who actually had spent time in jail for their activism um yeah basically based around these new laws etc and even after they spent time in jail they were able to reflect critically on the actions they've done and what they maybe should have done and what could be more effective and i thought that um is very admirable the fact that i think a lot of us there's a lot of ego involved in activism a lot of us can be very tied to particular tactics and because we've done something for a number of years, we don't want to think it could be wrong or we could have done things better or whatever. So I thought that that took a, kind of a lot of heart for these activists to still be critical of, for, of actions which they'd actually, you know, jun, done jail time for. Or, I mean, in this in this case, they'd actually do the actions. It was just about putting them up on their website. So, oh, but, um, but anyway, check out. There was a really interesting documentary. And if you do want to see that, uh, I'd highly recommend it. I do want to mention that there was some graphic footage and I think that was necessary to show what, why they were doing what they were doing but mm-hmm. but there was some graphic footage definitely not all the way through it was more just little snippets most of it wasn't graphic but there were some of those kind of um, scenes I want to give a heads up about that um, but I highly recommend it so there's another screening an encore screening because the first one was sold out it's this Wednesday, the 29th of January, 6.45pm at Cinema Nova, which is in Carlton. And if you search Films for Change Melbourne on Facebook, then you can um, yeah, you can find all the details of that and buy tickets, etc. Um, I also wanted to, um, yeah, wish farewell to a Freedom of Species presenter. I haven't actually spoken to Madison about this yet, but no. um, Kate, who has been on the show for a long time, is is uh, leaving us. So, yeah, just wanted to thank Kate for all the work she's put into the mm. show over the years. Has been on the show for many, many years, much longer than me, and yeah, uh, definitely has been a very reliable team member over those years. So you can still listen to all of Kate's show though if you go to freedomofspecies.org and you click on the Kate G tab. There's always a tab with who the <laughs> presenters are so if you want to listen to Kate's shows specifically um, obviously if you want to listen to the shows of particular presenters or avoid avoid Nick tab or whatever you, whatever <laughs> you want to do um, you can do that via our website as well um, and finally I wanted to mention as well that we won't be on air next week so We'll be back the 2nd of February, but next week will be Invasion Day programming. So, um, yeah, it will be Indigenous-led radio on 3CR all day, which is great, and promoting that rally and discussing that issue, etc. Um, also, you can go to freedomofspecies.org and find all our shows. We're on iTunes. Contact us for feedback. Uh, if you have feedback, info at freedomofspecies.org. Connect with us on Facebook or Twitter um, at FOS Radio. And we're on Instagram, thanks to Madison as well. Do you want to give a <laughs> shout-out to the Instagram? Yeah, it's at Freedom of Species, and there's actually a link to it on the 3CR Melbourne uh, Instagram page because they, they reposted our post. Right. So um, it's all there, and you will get some um, nice photos of animals on yep. your Facebook which is always good. Great. Um, and, yeah, we also wanted to mention the rally coming up yes. around Inda- Invasion Day. Yeah, so we strongly recommend, um, it, you know, people do attend the Invasion Day uh, rally and it will be happening on Sunday the 26th of January at 11am. So everybody is meeting at Parliament House on Spring Street. Uh, we want to acknowledge here at 3CR, obviously, that Australia Day needs to be abolished. And for more information, Google the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. They have wonderful and accessible resources um, and will be able to assist you in um, 
all of your rallying needs. Great. So we are about out of time. Thanks mm-hmm. so much to Madison for putting the show together today and coming in. Thank you. And, yeah, we're going to finish up with um, a track um, by uh, Bart Willoughby, which is sort of an Indigenous rights um, song. And, yeah, basically this one, um, yeah, We Have Survived, just in reference to the, yeah, what's coming up is often referred to as Survival Day or Invasion Day by Indigenous people. So, once again, encourage people to get involved with that protest, listen in to the Indigenous voices on 3CR on that day. And I think that movement has had a lot of momentum and there's been a lot of changing discussions about what this day, January 26th, um, what differences has made. So I definitely encourage people to come along and join in that movement. I think it's really having a big impact on changing the discussion. You can't change the rhythm of my soul. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.